This is Free 58 Health, Fitness and Mindset Podcast, the show that gives you the tools to integrate the principles of a healthy lifestyle into your schedule without having to give up the things that you enjoy in your life. If you want to improve your body and your mind, then Free 58 is the place to be. Your host, Jack Buffery, is your personal development trainer and creator of the Free 58 programs. Find out more about Free 58 and sign up for the free seven day challenge at www.358fitness.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 358 Health, Fitness, and Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Jack Buffery, and I look forward to having you along for this episode. Now, this episode is brought to you by the 358 Thrive Community. It's a free Facebook group that has the sole purpose of cutting through the crap out there and getting you the answers you need to achieve your fitness goals. If all you can find on the internet are contradictions, then you can think of this group as your fitness family and friends that have been there, they've done it, or they're already on the journey themselves so they can give you real feedback about what is going on and how to help you get to the next level. All you need to do is search for the 358 Thrive on Facebook and join the group today. And be sure to check out the unit section where you can be guided through the fundamentals of what makes 358 work. And it's also a place where I collate all the best information in one place and in a kind of structure so you can work through it in a way that makes sense. Now, my guest today is Christian Sosinski. Christian is a builder of superheroes. He not only leverages the mental and the physical aspects of health, but also the biological and the neurochemical aspects as well. We talked about biohacking, hormones, triggers, mindset, beliefs, self-identity. Now, Christian is all about optimizing life for his clients. He drops some great tips and also talks about things that you may not hear a lot of other coaches talk about. Yeah, so Christian, now I've, I've recently introduced a new way of introducing my guests on this podcast. So before I would put them in a random situation and get them to introduce themselves, but I thought I'll take some of the pressure off myself. And uh, um, the way I do it now is if we had to flip positions right now and yeah. you had to introduce yourself on a podcast as me, how would you introduce yourself? Mm. <laughs> How would you get the audience to know who you are and what yeah. you do? I haven't warmed up yet enough to answer that question. <laughs> well, I would say I would say I'm I'm you know I'm I am a superhero coach. That's the abstraction out of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but I deal with health optimization, biohacking, psychological change. I am fascinated about the brain, and I'm extremely committed towards understanding and leveraging how it works. Um, and really kind of applying uh, applying science and connecting it with the emotional drives, right? Making sure that we're not, because human beings are not rational. So um, it's very important to kind of have a coherency and actually have an emotionally engaging way of behaving and speaking and, and kind of leading people. And so uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that I can say about myself. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm really excited about speaking to you. And to be honest, I mean, um, uh, for the listeners, for every guest, basically, I write down a few questions around what we're going to talk about and what me and the guests are going to talk about. For Christian, it was quite awkward because we had a lot to, we had a brief conversation, like I do with all my guests, a 10 minute conversation. 
and the amount that you do, the amount that you are interested in, it just, I'm not, I didn't know where to start with the questions for you. So I'm hoping that a lot of this is going to kind of happen organically as I'm sure it will, because there's some fascinating stuff that you're interested in. And it's stuff that I'm not very well versed in. I'm aware of this stuff is about, but I'm, I'm not well versed in at all. So I might ask you questions that, um, you know, might be quite simple, but I'm very interested to learn more basically. So, um, especially when it comes to things like, um, biohacking and optimizing health and stuff like that but even from just your brief introduction what you said about us not being rational creatures um that that itself has sparked up interesting interesting questions for me so um before i get into your backstory i'm just going to ask you while it's still fresh in my mind we're not rational and you are you said you're you're trying to leverage how the brain works and and stuff like that so are you trying to basically leverage the brain to create rational situations for different behavior? I mean, how does that, how does that play out in the, yeah. in the big picture? I think, I think it's, it's definitely because we have science and rationality is a tool. Mm. And, and I think ultimately goal for all of us is to live a meaningful life. Right. I mean, mm. part of it is, is that's why people want to get healthier is because they feel like it's literally um, limiting how good their lives can be. Right. So if the goal is a meaningful life and we have rationality and science as a tool, ultimately the science of, of what constitutes us is very relevant in the subject and how change happens. Uh, so that I would say I would say that's kind of how do we actually uh, create some sort of coherency and a beneficial positive relationship between rationality and I guess emotions. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and the thing is, um, <clears throat> I think today in today's society, that is more important than ever because we, we used to not have to rationalize stuff so much because our lifestyles were a lot more basic than what they are today. Now yes. we have all of these different stresses, problems, input coming from all different directions. We, we have a lot more to take our focus away or to uh, do stuff like that. So trying to, um, <clears throat> trying to get emotional attachments to progress our lives to a certain, you know, to a certain point where we want them. It's very important for, for today's society to understand. So, uh, so Chris, how, how does one get from wherever you started on this mad journey to <laughs> where you are now? How does that whole evolution play out for you? Yeah. How does one become a mad scientist? Mm. <laughs> um, well, I definitely think that the broad, you know, the broad amounts of interest for me came, um, came from really associating pain with not knowing and not understanding. And mm. um, that really began like, you know, a, sh a short kind of clip of what went on is I was, I was, uh, I do, I do think I have a, a bit of an obsessive personality and I'm, I definitely have a, I definitely always enjoyed kind of committing to something and becoming good at it. And, you know, experiencing that high levels of serotonin, the high status that comes with being competent and admired. So that definitely happened early on. It was more, more, more so with my physical body. It was my physical kind of competence that awoke respect and kind of gave me the ability to really express myself. And so, you know, up until the age of 13, I grew up in, in Poland. Uh, we then, my family then moved to Sweden. And so I kind of left this, I was this popular, strong kid. And then I found myself with no social circle to kind of reinforce any kind of personality or direction and so all of that kind of went into soccer. 
And that was like my only out. That was the one thing I looked forward to all the time because it kind of, every time I was on the field, it reinforced my identity and it actually gave me like certainty of, Hey, you're, you're heading in the right direction. This is who you are. You're, you're valuable. And then, and as I was, you know, this, I, I began suffering a lot of injuries. And so as soon as the first injury happened back, you know, my hamstrings, my hip flexors, I started pulling everything you could pull, you know, groins. I was just like this broken guy because I suddenly lost like the one thing that I cared about, the one thing that gave me confidence at all, the one thing that gave me purpose was taken away from me. And, and I was offered help by many professionals. I went to like the best, uh, the most uh, competent uh, people in Sweden to kind of figure out what the hell is going on. And they just couldn't really solve it. And they were giving me these, these reasons, like they were observing other athletes and they were like, okay, well, Injuries happen to explosive players. You know, this happens. Like, it, it's inevitable. Injuries happen. And I was just kind of thinking to myself that if everything was optimal, if we had a conversation about what is optimal and what is possible rather than what is common, because I have the commitment. Like, I want to channel this energy somewhere. I don't mm. know what to do. And, and, like, I was extremely, extremely, like, I became neurotic over, you know, single pull, boom entire my entire life is crushed and and so that those were the thoughts that were circulating and i was i became you know i went from euphoric to depressed with one single uh, you know with one single swift well your identity was taken away from you effectively yeah. because you identified so strongly with that physicality and yes. yeah there, there could be a lot of danger in that so yeah that's yeah. that's interesting yeah and it and you know that kind of led me down a path of like investigating okay what's out there who can I learn from? Mm. And as I began to investigate, okay, what's the optimal way for a human being to move? And I, I even remember thinking this, like if a lion just goes, goes for a gazelle, he's not going to pull his hamstring. Like it doesn't really happen. And, mm. um, you know, in a, in a, so I, I kind of got pulled towards the natural world and kind of this, this like anthropological view of what a human being is capable of and how we're supposed to move. But then that problem solving kind of got applied to every other principle that involved humans and in the future um, but that's really where it started so as i solved it i became th this was my like i became the problem solver and i and i i understood that curiosity you know problem triggers curiosity in me curiosity leads to euphoria and like all the beautiful things to mm. have it basically so i think i'm i'm living out that pattern a little bit and 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 that's the that's the psychoanalytic approach is kind of looking at okay how were you designed as a kid you know what kind of plasticity was going on and it definitely wasn't this positive like i had a lot of crappy associations i had a fixed mindset i was extremely uh, result focused rather than kind of getting my dopamine hits from the process which what growth mindset is about but ultimately played soccer until I was about 21. Honestly, it just kind of fell out of love in the sport. I, mm. you know, it became like, okay, conversations with coaches. Like I didn't, I wasn't communicating. I didn't enjoy communicating with my coaches because I always felt like a coach was almost like someone that is going to work against me. And so I practiced that. I was this rebellious, silent kid and wasn't telling them that I was pissed. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and, and then I was just simply much more passionate about testing new ideas, adjusting my own biomechanics. Like, I would switch everything. 
I completely changed my biomechanics mid-season, and it was like very, very <laughs> difficult. Um, mm. But I wasn't. I was no longer. Um, as, it wasn't important to me soccer anymore. It was more about the fact that I wanna. I wanna learn more. I wanna. I wanna get better. I want to understand things. And it sounded like you were almost using at that time in your life. You were using soccer as a testing ground to test out ideas and theories that you were formulating in your head at the time. Yeah, it, it was. It was, and so it became like this. Okay, well, it's time to play bigger a little bit. And I had I'd been exposed to entrepreneurship before. I am a risk taker at heart, and and that was my playing style in soccer as well. And and you know the first business i went into i was eager to kind of go from obsessively into soccer to to being an entrepreneur and to sales and so i wasn't really picky about my opportunities but boom i got slammed in the fuck with in the face <laughs> you know because strategy matters right mm. that kind of reinforced that okay that hard work and conscientiousness and being extremely committed is one aspect of things but combining that with you know, the, like being relentless, right? Like, like, like Tim Grover talks about in his book, but then actually combining that with an intelligent strategy is really where the magic happens mm -hmm. because as an athlete, the strategy is provided to you, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, let's hope my coach knows what, what he's doing and what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as we grow up, we're, we're, we have the freedom to select our own strategy um, for life as a whole and for our careers. And so it becomes increasingly more valuable skill to actually know and have the, the ability to understand a system and, and what a process or a strategy will lead to. Mm. And definitely approaching it with that open mindset as well. I, I think that's, that's very key because a lot of people don't even realize the options open to them because it's just yeah. something that's never crossed their mind. Um, whereas simply something, uh, sorry, something as simple as reframing a couple of questions can open up a whole new avenue to someone. It sounds like you've naturally had that from a young age, which is, uh, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was definitely, I was definitely pretty hard headed. So I think, mm. you know, my, 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 it, it, I wasn't like naturally attracted towards kind of like, Oh, tell me about, you know, what you think, because my experiences were so crappy, mm. so to say, uh, with that. Um, but I definitely became obsessively like learning later. I was forced into that role because mm. of pain, basically. And would you say so interestingly, you said when you were still living in Poland, you, you were, you know, a, a young, strong lad and then you moved to Sweden and then you, um, you started playing football. And it sounds like the, these are very outwardly focused things to put your mind and your body and all your efforts to. So after you got injured, would you say that gave you pause to start looking inward instead of outward um, to, to your own inner workings and how the mind works instead of the physicality of either sports or football? So it was, I wish it was that empowering, but mm. ultimately when I lost my obsession, you know, just like what happens to a lot of people who lose who lose the channel that their dopaminergic system is attached to, guess where it goes? Instant gratification, distractions, started playing games, you know? I started just mm. kind of like, okay, well, let's see. You know, they said, wait six weeks, um, see if it gets better. Uh, you know, my mm. hamstring. And so I would just sit in a chair and play uh, games. And I didn't realize that that was contributing to my overall biomechanics and that the habitual biomechanics matter much more than what you do on the field. Yeah. Like, so, so it, 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 
I just, I just became kind of, uh, I started living just like my peers would, you know, I started doing the typical things, but I, I do think that my predisposition to getting, um, kind of obsessively focused on those things, you know, me and some friends could play the same game and I would be hooked on it and they wouldn't, you know? Mm. So like they would, the degree to which we would get hooked on was slightly different. And there is, there's science to support that genetically wise, right? Um, with, with addictive dopaminergic gene variations, but it's, yeah. So it, it wasn't as empowering. I didn't channel it immediately, mm. but uh, it, it definitely did switch eventually. So it's, it's almost as if then through, um, it was more of a, a natural progression for you that you, you got to a point you could do stuff. You, it, the focus wasn't a problem, but you realized that to get past a certain point, you had to start then looking internally and looking at how to make things better, how, looking at how to make yourself better. Is that more, more accurate? Yeah. Mm. It, it became almost like, you know, like I would, I would play games. I didn't care about social interaction because nothing can compete, you know, with the, with the stimulation of technology or, you know, with the things we have access to. If you mm. get hooked on the right things, you won't really be interested in the world. Mm. Um, so there was this identity that I wanted to pursue, you know, this, this grandiosity, this high serotonin life that I, that I got initially kind of exposed to when I was a kid. But then I lost that when I wasn't able to channel that into, into, into football and kind of to, to, um, to be, you know, to, to not just have confidence out of nowhere, but to actually have confidence to back it up, you know, as mm. time progressed. I wasn't able to practice as much. I wasn't able to continue making progress. And so that kind of uh, dominance on the field diminished. And suddenly I found myself actually competing. And I was like, screw this. This is not fun. <laughs> it's got hard now. Whoa, seriously, yeah. yeah. So just for the listener, what, what's the effect that serotonin has on the, um, on the physicality? And yeah. yeah. So serotonin is really what, uh, what happiness is. It's really mm -hmm. what, uh, what pride is. It's the emotions of pride. It's, it's a measure of your status, but you know, the, the word status has so much, uh, so, such a, is, is such a, um, it's not socioeconomic status and it's not even, it's not necessarily, there is, there's more nuance to status and, self-perceived within self-perceived status is that yeah is it's that, yeah. it's the molecule of identity of self-image so mm -hmm. it, it it colors how you what your role is in life in a way if mm -hmm. you're if, if 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 novelty you know if novelty is an opportunity or something to be avoid or something to avoid you know a, a gazelle and a lion have a very different approach to life and and opportunities right a gazelle mm -hmm. if there's something new going on whoa <laughs> you know back up but if mm. a, a lion can actually afford to be curious so it also has to do with kind of our, our stress levels but serotonin modulates negative to positive emotion and it kind of modulates our strategy for life if you should be pulled by more positive emotions or if you should be pulled by negative emotions mm. and avoidance so yeah serotonin also governs our physical posture which is very very interesting because that actually leads to an emotional posture towards life so what what actually um creates and regulates serotonin what 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 actions do we do that creates and regulates that that particular yeah. hormone so so the standards for kind of what your serotonin is looking at 
Uh, one is social interaction. So how other people treat you does influence uh, does influence your 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 serotonin levels because it's ultimately a measure of kind of how you're doing in the dominance hierarchy. Thankfully, there's more intrinsic mechanisms that can be powerful, which is overall okay. What what rules do you have for actually being confident? What makes you admire a person, and how close? Because we all have an ideal. Like you can't almost you can't almost you can avoid having something that you'll look up to, but that's your serotonergic system scanning what is possible, what's, in, what's the ideal, and where are you at? And kind of modulates your, your happiness and confidence based off the trajectory of your life. Mm. And so is it where we're at on that self-perceived scale that um, dictates how much serotonin we're producing? Is that, am I yes. getting that right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's, mm. al- it's also extrinsic, but it's also, it's also psychologically like what constitutes high status, mm. but then also your health. So yeah, like even course, yeah. neuroinflammation, inflammation in general lowers your levels of monoamines. And mm. um, so it's, it's very holistic, like how competent are you and how good should you feel? Because mm. there is a price to be paid for being overly confident. If you're overly confident and you go against a challenge or go against someone you shouldn't go against, uh, you will be punished. Mm. And, you know, anthropologically, you would be dead. Mm. So that system is created to be extremely accurate at estimating your own competence and how confident you should feel in a certain situation. I guess that's kind of, um, again, anthropologically speaking, that, that would go back to the fight or flight thing. If we're hunting a, hunting a woolly mammoth and a saber-toothed tiger comes out from one side, we're going to think, shit, can I deal with that? Can I not deal with it? We're going to have to make a decision yeah. right then and there. And if we're overconfident, we'll think we can take this on. And like you said, the, the result in that would probably be we'd die. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I like... Mm, I, I like the way I'm very interested in in that sort of evolutionary stuff and how things still link to it nowadays. Because in my eyes, our um, our society has evolved, but our brain is still working the same machine. So we haven't changed all that much on the inside from how we used to live, and that's where a lot of today's problems come from. Is the fact that yeah. we we are living in a society that we probably. Uh, created too fast from what our, our, our psychology can handle. Yeah, it's an evolutionary mismatch in, in some mm. ways, right? But, yeah. you know, evolution follows a continuity. Mm. So it takes a long time to remove things. It just keeps building on top of each other. That's why we have, we have the reptilian brain, deepest seat. Then on top of that is the mammalian brain that produces kind of rewards. Reptilian brain is really our fight and flight. And then on top of that is our cortex. And so that's, it's kind of, it kind of builds on top of each other and culture really stems out of our social brain because our brain is extremely, extremely social. Yeah. And, and the other thing about our brain is it will find answers to questions that you ask it, no matter how vague or out of, you know, out of the ordinary the question is, our brains are primed to want to find answers to those sort of things as well. So, um, so, so, I mean, how does, first of all, actually, I think it might be a good idea could you give kind of a timeline? So you've mentioned that um, you went to Sweden. So from Sweden to now, can you give kind of a brief overview of what's happened to get you to where you are and the subjects that you've studied and how yeah. you've integrated all of that? Yeah. Um, in Sweden, it definitely became one. I became very, you know, I was extremely focused. I didn't care about school. I was like, listen, I'm going to be a soccer player and having a plan B is ridiculous. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like so it, yeah. that was kind of my attitude uh, attitude back then 
um, it, just because I was rebelling so much against people that were telling me to have balance and to kind of, you know, people giving me advice that I synergically wasn't looking up to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so would you say in, in going back to what we just spoke about, is that you're producing too much serotonin, which has given you too much confidence in what your abilities were at the time or? Well, or not? I mean, it's, it's hard to say, right? Cause, to, mm. cause should you be confident? Should you not? You know, there's a, I had this conversation with a client and I was, you know, she would, she, she's extremely competent. She's super awesome. Yet she has no confidence. And I was, I was telling, okay, well, what's your, what's your rules for what would have to happen in order for you to be confident? Mm. You know, and I, and I, and I, and I, yeah. And she's like this extremely competent dentist, uh, you know, and, and she, and I, and I told her that confidence doesn't really like, it doesn't have, you don't actually have to have much, many references for it. It's all about your interpretations. And I told her, you, I'm sure you know people that have no reason to be confident, but that they're through the roof confident, right? Mm. And there is a pathology to that, right? Because that's, that's literally what arrogance is, is when you have so much serotonin flowing through and the standards you have for what is required for you to kind of feel good about yourself, um, which is, you know, this conversation is like the opposite of self-love no matter what. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's, I, I do think there is, there is, you should have confidence, but also have some kind of conversation surrounding, okay, I am, because your serotonin isn't just where you're, you've been or where you are right now, but also where you're heading. Mm. So I think that was my, my reason for having those levels of confidence was because I believe that I can do something truly great. Mm. And, and, and thus I want, you know, I want to look, towards people and listen towards pe to, to people that kind of at least embody some principles that I admire. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, the feeling of admiration is very natural to us and it is our serotonergic system. So uh, I still, you know, I still, I still see, uh, I don't necessarily, I do think that most of the time I got crappy advice. Um, but I do think I was also sometimes not susceptible uh, because I was so disagreeable, mm. um, uh, but it's 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 easier to look at it now. But that's create a lot of certainty for us. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've become more self-aware from the process, anyway. So that's always, you know, whatever you take from it, that's always going to be a bonus. That, that self-awareness. Yeah. But um, sorry, yeah, I completely changed the subject there. But carry oh, on. So yeah, from Sweden, moving conversation. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Um, so from Sweden moving forward, because you're now in the US, by the way, um, we've got a six hour time difference between us. What time is it there for you? Yeah, it's 1023 a.m. 1023 a.m. So yeah, it's um, 423 uh, p.m. here. So yeah. So um, what happened? How did you end up in the US from from Sweden? How did that kind of play yeah. out? And again, what did you study? What have you studied? And what brings yeah. you in front of me right yeah, now? So, absolutely. Uh, so I was... I, um, at around 19 years old, I was, I was basically playing semi-professional soccer and I was kind of ready for a change. So I went to this, like, uh, I went to this, like, uh, trial or like open play where there was a bunch of U.S. college coaches, um, watching and I played really, really well. And so I got a scholarship from that mm. into U.S. and I was like, all right, well, since I am, you know, I was, I was 19 years old at, at the time. And I was like, all right, I, I am so tired of being in the same environment that an adventure perfect. Mm. Uh, you know, so I went, even though I, I absolutely despise high school, 
I did not do well. I basically was pa I was barely passing anything. I I really like I would watch YouTube videos during class, you know, about things that I was interested in, and I just didn't really care for school at all. I saw no no purpose in it. I went to I then went to college, and um, and I was you know I was I was hopeful, and there was there were some good things, especially like meeting people and actually like I enjoyed the conversations with professors it was still though the environment was so not it wasn't learning or growth focused it was so uh, it was so like you know I couldn't choose what I was learning and I, I thought I was learning so many irrelevant things right I didn't I wasn't in power of my strategy right selecting the things that I learned I was I, I picked exercise science as a as my uh, kind of what I was going to study, my, my, my major, basically. And I was disappointed. It was not even at the levels that I already was exposed to uh, from, from experts online. Because, so, so it was just like I was learning things that, one, were, like, were barely relevant, and two, were very like, not equipping me with better problem-solving skills, and like, because there is very different types of knowledge, right? Like there's there's like facts, but there's things that completely shift your perspective around around how to approach, uh, you know, problem solving biomechanics or or improving someone's exercise performance or sprinting performance, right? So as I was like this, I was I was learning so much about optimizing running biomechanics and like what makes the sprinter you know, what differentiates athleticism? What is the root cause of athleticism? Why are people who are the best in the weight rooms, why aren't they the most explosive players, right? Which, uh, so kind of like going into things like elastic energy, like that was non-existent in my professors. Uh, mm. and, and nutrition, that just like, I, br I was bringing papers to the, to the teacher that was disproving what she was teaching us. <laughs> mm. yeah, and I was just like, yeah, I was extremely unsatisfied with the quality of the of the education. So when I I actually ended up um, tearing my labrum, you know, as as some kind of random, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I basically <laughs> pushed. I was pushing against the player, and my shoulder popped. <laughs> and I was at like great. I was I, like I was doing great. Um, I was the fastest player, which. Honestly, like the athleticism was the only thing I cared about mm -hmm. <laughs> at that point. Um, but it just ended up being, yeah, I tore my labrum and I was just like, I had, a, I, I was still in touch with a couple of friends that were kind of going the entrepreneurial path and that we shared some similar, similar values. And so when he, um, when he presented me with like an opportunity to meet some people that he was doing business with, I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go see what's going on and boom, I'm, I'm presented with these values of, of growth that expand, you know, way out, outside of uh, athleticism and sports all the way into kind of life and just like way bigger and kind of growing as a person and, and becoming a great leader and, and, and being able to influence people. And so, so yeah, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm all in, I'm, I'm dropping out of school. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, on my on my application uh, for like for like um, dropping out, I was like, all right, well, I'm becoming a millionaire, uh, so <laughs> so bye. <laughs> um, you know, so it was. I was like, all right, well, it's time to be, um, you know, reckless, bold, take a take a take a chance, uh, be brave, 
and that was kind of my my decision making it wasn't strategic at all but like, mm. like i said um, it led to me being on the right trajectory even though it wasn't the right path at the time mm. i'm i'm very happy i made the decision well i think if you've got enough um and again self-awareness has to be key for the path mm. that you've taken if you've got self enough self-awareness enough focus and enough common sense to create a syllabus of learning that is going to benefit you and is going to make you want to want to carry on with it you're going to be in a much stronger position than most standard education can offer because like you say the you didn't get anything from the education at college because that's done for <clears throat> for the masses who just want to get their heads down and get a grade at the end of it you were obviously wanting something different you were wanting to have your mind opened you were looking for that something extra yeah, which, to be the best you know mm. and I just it was very it was a very slow path towards towards learning mm. and so you i mean you mentioned this in the introduction at the beginning so since since you had that how long ago was that um was was that kind of realization we decided to Jack in school and carry on. Uh, that was now five years ago. Four five years, years ago. ago. So, if you could again just just go over a brief overview of the things you've studied and maybe give a little bit of a um, of a definition of which what each kind of different category means, because I know you've you've looked into a lot of different things. Uh, like a category of uh, like what I studied in school. Yeah. So well, we just everything because you, you you've said you know you you look into neurochemistry, you look into biohacking, all of these different things. If you could just go over those things that, that you're really interested in focusing on, what you you know what you've brought forward with you now, and give a definition of people who may not know what these terms mean, like neurochemistry mm. and biohacking. And that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, so I was I was always um, even early on I was experimenting with supplements like. If you put me in a supplement store, I'll, I'll buy everything, <laughs> and because that literally, like every single every single compound is potentially like this amazing discovery, right? So I I, I was experimenting very early on, um, but in in school, some of the cool things were like even in my in a writing class, you know, I was exposed to Campbell and kind of the hero's journey, mm. and you know, I saw that that's oh that's actually connected with Jungian philosophy. Um, you know, and kind of, kind of this idea of archetypes and like archetypical patterns, um, and so it was a. It, it, I definitely grew a lot from being in college. Mm. Um, it was, uh, but I definitely at a certain point I felt like I was squeezing. You know, I was attempting to squeeze out juice out of a rotten or uh, like a rotten lemon. Mm. It was like there was nothing left for me to to get out of there. Now, in the future, I do intend on actually potentially going to psychiatry. I'm not sure yet. I, I would like to be competent in those areas, but basically from performance, you know, and, and being exposed to psychology and mindset and get just kind of self-improvement in general. And I was exposed to awaken the giant Tony Robbins very Brilliant early. Book. I read that book like more times than I can, than I can remember and just continually going back to it because there was, there was a, there was a different approach with, with, Tony and kind of that was a it was very like even though psychology seems to be subjective there was very much objective truths and yeah. so I was like looking for principles upon which you know how you know how does a person behave the way they do but also what how do they become the way they are and mm -hmm. how do they how do we experience emotions in the first place you know why do some people feel great even though they have a crappy diet and why do some people even though they they have they have like 
they have this awesome philosophy and like this, this positive mindset. Why do they feel like crap? So like that, that was, I wasn't super conscious of this at the time, but it's ultimately, it was about kind of uniting the fact that psychology can influence our biochemistry, but that our biochemistry influences our psychology tremendously. Hmm. So yeah, it was kind of all those topics, you know, everything that concerns the human beings, I want to know and understand. So how did, um, how did your interest for neurochemistry and I guess, you know, biohacking comes into that as well, because yeah. it's all about, you know, mental performance and stuff like that. And uh, how did that take precedence for you? How did that kind of come to the forefront of, of your learning? Yeah, excellent question. So it, one, as I was so interested in psychology and physical performance, I, I, it was really one kind of the uniting them, but two in, in psychology, what are we really doing? And it's really physical changes in your brain. It is kind of directed neuroplasticity and it does work through associations. And so when, when we're talking about biohacking is really kind of about giving the biological prerequisites for having a certain psychology for having certain standards because ultimately if you have high standards but poor health you're going to be miserable you won't be able to achieve it and so it's kind of um, you know that it's i understood that it's more than just like kind of wanting something you can't just like just want something just uh, like just hard work and just a commitment but that there there is some some deeper underlying principles that govern your performance. And so, you know, there is deeper principles governing your ability to focus. And it's not just about how much you care about a particular subject. So yeah, it was, it was kind of, as soon as I realized that every like enlightenment, right. But Mm. it just, it just made everything make so much more sense that it's not just mindset, but it's not exclusively your health because there's people that technically um now the concept of health is definitely much more complicated than we take it out to be it's not just bmi mm-hmm. and a person with a healthy bmi with muscle mass can be you know can have health problems um, but yeah expanding the idea of health just that kind of led me into biohacking because that's what it that's what it was all about now specifically i came across like uh, biohacking experts specifically after my concussion so after the failed business and like two three months after i was in a car accident and got hit from behind and suffered like this extreme whiplash and the day after when i was trying to go to the gym couldn't lift anything like my nervous system was just not engaging i Mm -hmm. like no strength i became burned out so i had overtraining syndromes and like rapidly which is kind of apathy no motivation to do anything, extreme fatigue. And I didn't know what caused it. It was after the accident, but I, at the time I was like, what's going on? Like Mm -hmm. I am, I am dead. And like, I would cry over nothing, you know, like a simple one problem and boom, like I I can't handle it. I can't Mm -hmm. handle it. And after doing so much work on myself and growing as a person, I became discouraged. Right. Cause I was like, am I like, Am I not committed enough? Am I not trying hard enough? Mm. Uh, why am I not able to 
make progress and be motivated again and, 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 and get that kind of like euphoric feeling that comes from, from progress and feeling competent. Um, so, you know, and of course, you know, failing a business after you committed everything to it, um, was hard, right? It's, it's always going to be hard on your confidence, but that concussion really like, um, made me delve into the research surrounding, okay, outside of willpower and mindset and psychology and even general health, what leads to some people being able to follow through with what they want to do and why, why some people don't. I, I think um, your bench press example is, so I just wanted to highlight this before you yeah. go forward. I think this is going to be a really good example, but your bench press example is going to, is going to be a really good metaphor for what's about to come. I get the feeling I could be way off track here, but basically you still had the strength to be able to do that bench press. But what had been affected was the neurological pathways. And for, for anyone listening to this who maybe doesn't understand, you can, you can be strong, but if you haven't got the neurological patterns there, if your body doesn't recognize those patterns, you're not going to be able to effectively perform a movement. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened to you with that accident. Um, and it sounds like that could be a good metaphor for a psychological thing that you're yeah. going to go to now. If, if that's, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a way off the mark there, but Very it sounds like, yeah. I think okay. that's, that's great that you that you brought that up because mm. it, it, it really was that way. Yeah. And, you know, what I thought was overtraining syndrome was actually post-concussive post exercise intolerance, mm. which meant that I could not, like, I would, wasn't able to tolerate strain. So, mm. you know, when you think about the concept of grit, <laughs> I didn't have it. <laughs> yeah. Basically, because uh, even, and, and, and this was so connected because mental strain was could make me like if i read for 20 minutes or focus on something intensely boom like this extreme fatigue this fog like things were just boom and um, I, I was not able to function mm. um and so yeah it was uh, it was it was pretty brutal because and, and and it also taught me about the connection between like how you feel mentally and how you how you're able to perform physically and it is the neurological, the nervous system controls that. Like the nervous system, you know, when you're sore after a workout, when you have DOMS, right? It's not the actual, like the muscles would be capable of producing that kind of force. It's just that your nervous system is putting brakes on how much, uh, how much muscle recruitment you actually can get. And mm. um, so, yeah, it was, it was very, 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 very interesting. It's almost like your nervous system went into its own version of fight or flight, and it's like, yeah. nah, fuck off, I'm not doing this because it's going to hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Fight and flight. So, so how did you learn to overcome this by by exploring in, into other other strategies? Yeah. So, so we ended up. I ended up going to a. I was at a chiropractor initially. It helped it a little bit. Uh, you know we measured things like heart rate variability. I was basically in ex an extreme state of fight and flight, like mm. permanently. And this is actually very relevant for people who even haven't had an accident. Psychological stress is proven to uh, like limit how well you can recover from, uh, from, from exercise and how much muscle you can grow and, and how much ex exercise you can actually tolerate. So those are very like, these are just, extra clear examples but mm. this happens to everyone on on, a, on a, at least a micro level mm. and uh, but but then i actually went and got a i had an mri scan of my of my neck 
um, eventually. And the damage was severe in my C2. Like I had discomfort in my, in my neck. I didn't kind of, I was hoping that it wasn't anything, but, uh, but yeah, my, my C2, uh, which is, which is basically very close to the brain and part of my neck, it, it was, it was, it basically, it was, it was, it was gone. The, the, <laughs> what was holding on to the C2 on one side was basically raptured. Uh, and so my chiropractor told me that people with this kind of damage have like a 99% chance of retiring early. Oh, wow. Uh, and like actually like never going back to work after that kind of damage. And he said that it's not even if I have a severe concussion, it's like how severe is it? Mm. So it was, you know, for someone that was identifying with like, being intellectually sharp, being like, being extremely motivated, like always being able to push through kind of a David Goggins attitude. Mm. That was rough. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when, when someone is telling me that I literally, you know, I am pursuing a cognitively straining career, you know, my ability to problem solve and expose myself to, to, to enough information where I'm competent in problem solving governs my ability to be of value to my clients. So it was definitely not, you know, it wasn't fun news, but that's where, you know, when, when, when the chiropractor told me that I told him like, okay, so how does this typically affect a person? And that's what he told me. And I said, cause, cause I already knew that my recovery isn't going to be the same as other people because I'm going to do everything there. Like there can be under the sun to improve. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't doing well, but then as I, I began, I began taking many, many supplements, you know, from, and I began noticing differences um, and, and things started to improve. I started taking ginkgo. I started taking everything I could to increase neurogenesis, uh, to in increase cerebral blood flow. I was making sure that I, like, I was religious about my walks. I was religious about meditation. Um, and just like started doing everything I can to optimize my body and, and brain and health so that I can cope with life again. And where was the education for these, um, especially in terms of the supplements and stuff like that that you were experimenting with? Where was the education from this? Uh, so there was many of them were simply like from, from different, different uh, biohacking websites. So the free information was where I initially started. Um, you know, it was, it was everything from like, uh, just uh, searching on for different herbs and different, uh, different things that have worked for other people. Um, I also came across Dr. Amen, uh, with, with Dr. Amen clinics and kind of looked at what he was doing. Oh, I think I actually heard about him today on the Joe Rogan show. He was speaking to Mighty Cyrus. I think Mighty Cyrus has actually mentioned Dr. Yeah. Amen. Is that, that been the same one? Yeah. 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 So he's been, see, so that's where. He's, a, he's an ex extremely disagreeable guy. You know, he's mm. roasting the entire psychiatric field, the entire field of medical, uh, like mental health, because he's saying mental health is brain health. Mm. There's no distinguishment there. And so, and, and he does include things like emotional trauma affecting neuroplasticity and creating, you know, that emotional trauma can create pathological connections in your brain. Uh, but it, it was, you know, he definitely helped me to stop feeling guilty about this. Mm. Um, and to kind of understand that, hey, you have to respect that. Like you, I can't. You can't just keep pushing. Mm. And I, you know, I when I when when I delved into the research, it it wasn't. It's not just for people with concussion. 
Like if you are, if you have had set intentions on making a change happen and you haven't been able to, like one, yes, it's absolutely relevant, like the systems you use and your understanding of how to actually make change happen. But ultimately the prerequisite for change is actually healthy levels of neuroplasticity and actually being able to change your brain. And so can you just define um, for the listener what neuroplasticity is just so they've got a clear understanding yes. of that, that might help. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself. And, it, and that ability is a spectrum. It's not an on and off button. And different lifestyle choices is, are going to affect that. Exercise being one of them, um, which has huge effect on your brain and kind of your, the, the how on a fundamental level, how much can you change? And so being able to thrive in change is significant. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, like look, I was, uh, I came across that, wow, 50% of homeless people have had a TBI in their life. Um, you know, how BMI affects brain function. And just, I, I started recognizing these like scientific concepts in the people I know that like people who generally philosophically, they're, they, they want to grow, they want to learn, they want to understand things but they literally don't have the ability to. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 that trauma kind of shot me into um, the research behind ability of someone's ability to follow through, which is mm-hmm. so different than someone's commitment to follow through or courage to follow through or kind of, you know, more um, intrinsically generated, but rather the ability to. So I, I think having this kind of understanding as well, from a mental health point of view, it must have, it must have almost been a weight off your shoulders because you realized that it wasn't you at thought. It wasn't because you didn't have the focus. There was actually something almost mechanically wrong that you were now working on fixing. And, you know, once you have an option to think to fix something, it takes the pressure off and you're actually thinking, right, okay, I've got options of how to move forward. You're yes. not stuck in that rut. You've got a clear path. So yeah. And, and, and that's something that, you know, <clears throat> if, if you happen to be suffering from a mental health problem, look at the options, dive deep, work out what, is there actually any objective way to get out of a situation? And once you've got a path, it's definitely going to free up your mind a hell of a lot. So yeah, yeah, I, I, and, yeah definitely makes sense. So there's actually something. Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say that like, this is like actually a video that I've made on my profile and my Facebook group, which is, the conversation and, and having a healthy dichotomy between responsibility and, and blame and, and, and kind of that sometimes, you know, responsibility can crush. And if you don't realize that, unfortunately, we're not, we haven't been fully for like a lot of things are outside of our control and it's important to not, you know, responsibility kind of allows for us to take ownership and actually fix the problems. But the blame and, and the, the blame that responsibility can lay on us can crush us and debilitate us. So it's kind of important to know how to actually take responsibility and what you should take responsibility, responsibility for. You know, we have not all been dealt the same cards. Mm. Yeah, so, but, but despite that, it doesn't allow, we, we cannot allow ourselves to kind of turn nihilistic and see no meaning in getting better and to take and see no meaning in taking on as much responsibility as we can, as mm. much as it is beneficial. So, yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I, I think um, just the ability to um, 
the recognize that you can you know you, you can be responsible for everything but like you said blame it's not really going to get you very far. It's about the things you can control. If you take responsibility for the things you can control and just say, right, if that's out of my control, I can't assume responsibility for it. Take that weight off your shoulders. It's just not even worth thinking about and just assume control for the things that you have got. And to be honest, it's why I got into health and fitness in the first place. It wasn't because I'm an absolute, you know, I'm not a gym head at all. I don't really, I'm not, I don't live for the gym. But what I do love about it is that it's taking control of my life and it provides a metaphor for any challenge that you're ever going to see in life. You, you're overcoming resistance to reach a better version of yourself at every step. And yeah, it's, that's where I take responsibility. And I've learned a lot of lessons from just becoming an active, healthy person in that, in that respect. Yes. Um, and obviously it has lots of other benefits as well. So that's, <laughs> that's really good. But for, from what you've done now, I mean, obviously you, you kind of coach this stuff to other people now. So how do you go about that? What does that look like for you? How do you go about helping other people? With, with coaching? Mm. Yeah. So my coaching kind of surrounds um, kind of optimizing the two factors of succeeding in anything which is one, your ability to select the right strategy or system or kind of the rational, um, the rational path forward towards making something happen. So whether it's to get your nutrition to a certain point or to get your exercise to a certain point in movement and, you know, making sure your macros are right, uh, but ultimately just congruency with science, with congruency with the objective world. Your, your strategy and systems need to be congruent with how the human being is, right, with how our brain can change itself. But then the second factor is your ability to do so. And so it's kind of maneuvering both of these factors in getting you to a certain result, right? And, and so many people, like they will commit and they'll kind of fire themselves up and then they'll follow a crappy strategy and be on a bird diet and kind of just, just drink a bunch of kale. And then they will go back towards, you know, they're trying to willpower themselves through and then they feel miserable when they're healthy. And so they, boom, they're back. Because at least, you know, when they were eating out, they were getting enough salt, they were getting some, at least some enough calories and macros and, 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 and you know, kind of getting things right. So these, these two, two factors interact so much uh, that a lot of people need help towards actually, one, being able to follow through with strategies. But obviously, the worse your strategy is, the harder it is to follow through. Um, so that's really what I, what I help my, uh, help my clients with is one to, of course, get the body of their dreams and kind of look like the way they want to, but ultimately to change the philosophy uh, surrounding health and what it actually means to them. So to kind of move health higher up in the, uh, in the ladder, ladder of hierarchies and kind of make it a bigger priority, make it, make your health something that actually allows you to cope with life. In the, in the highest of possible ways to actually be able to sustain those high standards. Um, so it's very, it's very holistic and, and, and ultimately my clients are exposed to my philosophy and that kind of allows them to make health something much more important, something that they care about, something that isn't just like on the side, but rather is at the, at, at the center of what allows them to live a good life. Mm. So then provide them with the strategies to kind of get the specific results they're looking for. And it will radiate out to every other area of their life as well. And, and that's the thing I try to, um, I try to hammer home. It's um, 
once you can find your own version, your own fitness philosophy, then you're really going to make it an integral part of your life and it's going to radiate out and just affect everything else that you do as well. It's, there's no downside to it. There's, there's only upside. You just, yes. you may feel like you've got less time at the very beginning, but within a few months, you actually feel like you've got more time. You've got more energy and your, your head is able to create more better uses of your time just because you're thinking clearer. And there's so yeah. many knock on effects. And like you said about being holistic, that's so key to being a coach in the modern age because there's so much input coming from everywhere that we have to take in every um, every input that someone might have and work out a strategy where they, we can't just give someone an exercise program and be like, there you go, because that's yeah. disregarding their work, their family, you know, the, the dietary yeah. intake they may already have. Um, and and the, the capability of learning as well, like what, you know, something that you've had a lot of experience about. So I, I, that's, a, that's an interesting point. What's your experience with your coaching? How do you integrate the, um, what you've learned through your own kind of self-knowledge with uh, neurochemistry and, and biohacking? Yeah. How do you treat that with your coaching? Yeah, so, uh, so part of uh, like one of my, so it's coaching and then there's a course on, on the side of things to kind of help them with their long-term education, but part of it is actually to get them biochemically hooked on their goals. That's the title of the module, which is, which is basically to kind of, you know, so serotonin is your identity. It's your, so I want them to take pride in their health. And when you begin to identify with something, you will be automatically pulled towards it. And when you're incongruent with, with your identity, you will feel it because you'll, you'll feel the shame. You'll feel the, kind of the, the negative emotion. And so it's, it's kind of using both positive and negative emotions to get you hooked on moving in the right direction so that things can get better. And because so many people, you know, the reason they haven't started exercising is because it has a lot of negative emotion associated with it. Um, so, so one way now, there could also be that they literally don't have the energy to exercise. So when I, when I start working with my clients, I actually get them the, 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 the nootropics and the kind of different supplements that I believe would help them with the, the specific symptoms that they're experiencing. And whether it's the dopaminergic system or kind of the stress response or their overall, you know, hormonal imbalances, that's kind of, you know, there's a, there's a reason the, the, the medical world is so focused on pharmaceuticals. And I don't personally think that it's some kind of huge conspiracy but i rather think that it's just the simplicity of execution you know a, a pill is so much easier to give and um you know same thing like with the with the psychiatric model you know that the, the you know you have the psychological and the, the cognitive behavioral therapy but you have the the biological side of the, of depression and mental health they do acknowledge it the challenge is that they mostly like think that okay the only way we can influence biology is through drugs through pharmaceuticals and that's just plain out wrong it's ridiculous it's like we're gonna laugh at this hopefully soon uh, you know we already are beginning to laugh at this but we need to laugh at it more and ridicule it because it's it's absolutely ridiculous now drugs do have their place They're, they can be extremely stabilizing but ultimately for long-term health to happen that's where we need to focus well it's not treating the root cause of the problem it's treating the yeah. the symptoms of it and that's never a good place to start that's yes. like breaking your leg and then trying to do a leg curl and thinking, oh, that'll make it better. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, 
yeah, the neurochemistry is kind of the, the structure of the psychological coaching, mm. you know, and I, and I help them see when there is a belief that is literally, uh, you know, n- reducing their ability to, um, to, to experience the, the sensation of pride or, 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 or motivation or, or those things. But ultimately, the health of, for example, dopaminergic system is not just influenced by your beliefs. You know, the, the, the sole amount of dopamine, the sole amount of inflammation, the sole amount of, of you know, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which governs neuroplasticity, all those things contribute to kind of where you're at right now and how will you, how will you approach the strategy that has been laid out in front of you. Mm. So, one, it gives, it gives the psychology much more respect and authority because it has real neurochemical consequences. And two, it gives us solutions for observing that, hey, if you're not motivated, that's a problem with your dopaminergic system because dopamine is your motivation. So it, it doesn't become like this, um, you know, and there's standards for what could constitutes the health of that system, of the dopaminergic system. And one, one of them is sensitivity. One of them is the amount. And the third is really kind of what it is associated with. And, and so... A lot of people don't exercise because they don't feel good. They don't have energy. Mm. And when they try to exercise, they burn themselves out quickly because they literally don't have the biological requirements to even get that movement and to actually recover. Now, it's not always that way, but um, a lot of the times it, it's, it's both of those. Like they, mm. they don't exercise because they don't have energy and they don't have energy because they don't exercise. But it, it's important to not just assume that a person is not exercising just because they don't care to or they're lazy. Mm. So kind of expanding the expanding what why a person does what they do and don't assume that they're a lazy bum. So what would you say is a good strategy for anyone listening right now to maybe identify how would they go about identifying any stressors or external um external factors that are creating this um uh, negative kind of uh, uh, negative pathways to their success so for lack of a better terminology yeah. does that make sense yeah, so, i mean it, it kind of depends but oftentimes with the serotonergic system it's kind of the psychological standards and your habitual posture so those those things the way you habitually move the way you spend your time in those those matter a lot so do your testosterone levels um but kind of the you know optimize your health and that kind of allows you to actually troubleshoot these things and kind of, kind of develop that to actually have that self-awareness it's not like you can just turn on your ability to like observe your beliefs mm. it's i don't think that's the right way of looking at it like I, I i don't think that everyone is at the same level of ability to do that mm. and so depending on where you're at there is going to be different uh, different approaches that kind of bring the biggest return. Mm. So if your sleep sucks and you're constantly in a sympathetic state and you never feel, um, you know, you never feel um, rested when you sleep and you never feel recovered and you never feel motivated, like we're going to have to identify what is it that is actually happening. Right. And um, so it's really hard to give you, to give like a specific mm. path, but you know, there's so many things you can do for your health, your sleep to kind of balance the sympathetic with the parasympathetic um, but 
but yeah, I mean, on the spot, yeah, it's hard. Because, yeah. And I give this answer to a lot, and I I speak to it. By the time this episode airs, um, the listeners probably would have heard me say it quite a few times on other episodes. But an answer to so many health, fitness questions, nutrition, exercise, uh, mindset. Uh, the answer is so often it depends um because yeah. it really does depend on it i know it's frustrating to hear but it yes. does come down to the person but um from from your point of view do you do any hormone testing and stuff like that with your coaching clients is that how you get to the bottom of some of these things is that a, sometimes i i do do micronutrient testing and i do yeah. do we can do like a hormonal profile um it it depends kind of, it both depends on where, where they're at and what their preference is. You know, oftentimes when someone has been having real big health problems, then they often have had those tests done. The challenge is that, you know, the standards uh, of the medical community is, you know, if you're in the um, considered normal range, uh, you know, that, that could still be a problem. We don't want you in a normal range. Um, you know, we want you on the high end. And so, um, yeah, I do do some testing, but ultimately subjective experience of your energy levels it really can just give us, give us, you know, your, your energy levels, your ability to focus. It gives us insight that um, unfortunately most tests won't really be like be able to give us now mm. for like super intelligent supplementation and, 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 and making sure that, that we are diving into your micronutrient deficiencies, which are like every single person has a micronutrient deficiency. Um, it's, it's, it can, it can definitely, it can definitely help. Um, but a lot of times the nutrition and what you habitually eat and where you get your calories from is what matters the most. Um, like that's why I, like, I believe like macros matter for weight loss a lot. Um, but ultimately that's, they matter more if it's in a lab, you know, if it's a lab, if it's a controlled environment, yeah, macros will give us all the, all the answer. But if you're kind of what you associate with pleasure is like crappy food and you, you, you know, you're literally eating poison, um, then it's kind of, it's, it's going to be really hard to just, to just stick to the macros that will lead to weight loss. You'll burn yourself out and you won't really feel good. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, again, I, I've said this a lot, but self-awareness around these kind of things as well. And like, we, you know, we've both used the term quite a lot now, it depends. But I think if you focus on on the big rocks, which for me is usually make sure you get enough sleep, um, make sure you're hydrated, get plenty of fruit and veg and perhaps a high protein diet. I know some people struggle with that because of their certain certain things, but then get those big rocks down and then you start to focus on, on the smaller rocks and any even smaller rocks, like your other stressors, like your work capacity and, and, and stuff like that. It's just yes. elimination can work very well in scenarios like that, working yeah. out. There's what, a lot of the things people know, like, you know, you will feel better from, from eating more, you know, whole foods. Like you'll, you yeah. will feel better. Um, mm. it's, it's oftentimes, you know, with sleep, for example, the quality and the and the quantity of sleep matters. Um, and so initially, it's always the first thing is to get the psychological, uh, the psychological clarity in, in place, like, okay, where are you at? Where do you want to go? And then we are able to identify things that are not congruent with that. 
and we don't try to remove everything at once but we are like the ultimate goal is to change what you believe is brings you pleasure because it's so subjective like people that exercise have so much so much positive emotions associated with exercise people who don't have negative emotions associated with them like it's it's almost black and white so kind of getting them towards understanding that even these habits this this first of all change means pleasure like that we have to we have to get that first thing right because so many people that haven't changed associate change in general and novelty with negative emotions with okay when i change i get disappointed and this is of course based off their past as well mm. um, but it's get we got to get you like on a philosophical level so that you're pulled by your reward system in the right direction and then everything gets better from there and we kind of compound mm. um, but the little things well when we don't change it's almost a safety net even if we don't like where we are we still recognize it we understand it so from, that's almost a safety net um and that that can give quite a bit of resistance to change but for, for you what's um I, I and again it's going to be a depends answer but what is the kind of um i guess a, a top-down view of how you would go about structuring someone's belief system to change around the idea of change yeah, yeah so it uh, it almost is like it almost is often hard to get right in initially you know we can talk about you know for example like when i when i when i begin to work with clients i we we begin by kind of acknowledging the hell that can unveil in, in the goal setting that if we if we stagnate if we don't change so like I help we ha we basically have a very impactful conversation around that there is real consequences to not changing and so don't be under the illusion that the change is the only danger and that the that the that the unknown is the sole um, possible negative consequence so I actually help them see the negative consequences of mm -hmm. the path the trajectory the things that are happening. Um, and and then we we talk about what do they want things to be? What is the heaven they want to be striving towards, and why? Why do they care about this? And and it often you know once we get out of the stuff, there's emotions underlying why we want that stuff. And so the the the, the goal and the vision is that what sets the direction. Mm -hmm. Then and how I define what you believe is what you do. So like if if you know if you if you're not doing that then you don't believe that that leads to pleasure now this is a dichotomy right because mm -hmm. there's the ability concept right uh, so it's it's but if you're not pulled towards that action it means that on a you know that in in your rationally you you say you believe something but intuitively emotionally biochemically you don't and so we kind of then work towards a congruency between what you rationally want and how the decisions that would get you there are experienced by you emotionally, intuitively throughout your day. So like the emotional response of a person that isn't exercising, their cortisol spikes, their, this is their, their stress response. This is something they want to avoid. While a person that wants to exercise is looking forward to it, right? You're trying to find a spot where you can actually have a workout. Um, so once we have clarity, then we can begin to problem solve, but it is really, you know, I wish there was some kind of way of just like snapping out of it and believing that change can happen in an instant is actually important. Mm. 
And it's, it's just that we need, we often need repetition and we often need, um, you know, an environment that actually pulls us in the right direction so that those new connections that have been made of positive emotions, like we, we don't go from like a negative for, from associating negative emotions to something to complete positive. We're going to mixed. So like creating a mixed association is really what we are creating by the hell because the hell represents that action. And so we connect the big goals, the, the polarity of consequences with the specific actions that will get them there. So, and so for example, nutrition wise, I do have experiment days. So I don't call them cheat days. We call them experiment days. And we do that for a reason because ultimately we're attempting to give them the opportunity to actually experience how it makes them feel and not on a, in the future, you know, if I'm not healthy, I'll, I'll die 10 years, 10 years younger. Like that doesn't move people. Like we want to, it doesn't like human beings do not like, we don't really feel the future as powerfully as we think we do. Not we as much as immediate gratification. If we can have immediate gratification, that's there. It's right in front of us. Yes. We want it. Yeah. That's why experimentation days can actually work like this experience that you create a new new association. So I've had people like my clients message me, Oh, you found the cure for sugar addiction. Guess what? He, he's been sticking to his diet. He, he was at a birthday party. I told him, go all out, have fun, enjoy, see how it makes you feel, observe, develop that self-awareness of how your brain becomes foggy. You know, like, like I pride them and prepare them that, hey, social occasions are going to happen. Don't fear them at all. Just understand that there is a, you know, because so many people associate crappy food with social occasions. And I, mm. I actually tell them social occasions are awesome. Mm. You know, and sometimes we can't avoid not eating uh, things that that aren't necessarily congruent with our biology. We shouldn't. So, I, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely shouldn't. Yeah. So so then it's it's kind of like you, boom, you eat it and you feel how how it makes you feel, and suddenly that connection is instant mm. because okay, this me this makes me feel this way, and so it's it's that instant connection, and that's way different than if I eat this cake, then maybe you know my health will be worse when I'm sixty. That's, that's very different. No, like I want to bring everything into today and how it makes you feel right now in this very moment. Mm. And then with things like that as well, it's, it's very important with the connections that we make and, and the labels that we give things and, and things like that as well. The language that we use, it all makes a difference yeah. on, um, on, on different aspects. Yeah, no, I joke with, you know, foods being radioactive. <laughs> and, you know, so, so it's, it's, mm. It, it brings a little bit of humor, but at the same time, a little bit of um, skepticism towards some of the things that we're eating. Because mm. uh, I don't necessarily, like, you know, there is a lot of uh, conversations surrounding, like, don't call foods bad or good. But I don't think that's, that's I don't think that's, that's smart. Because we do want, like, polarity creates clarity. Like, if there is, mm. if there is, like, clear black and white differences of choices, it doesn't mean that your path and your nutrition is going to be absolutely perfect. But as soon as we create the right associations, you're going to get it right most of the time. And ultimately you're going to get the results you want. I, I had this conversation earlier on, actually um, years ago, I wrote a, uh, wrote an article about when to be dogmatic and when not to be. And I think mm -hmm. at the beginning of a journey, it's a really good idea to be dogmatic about the right things yeah. because use it as a habit building time frame. 
and then once you've got those habits down, then you can start getting rid of the dogmatism and start experimenting with new things. Um, so at the moment in my current space, I, I, I'm not dogmatic about anything apart from the right thing that's going to work for my client at the right time. And I'm like, right, stick with that. Even if you don't like it, stick with it for at least a few weeks so we can see what the results are. Then yes. we adjust and then we move on. And it's the same with nutrition, same with training, same with anything. You know, you stick to something for a certain amount of time so we can assess it. We're not going to know if it's going to create brilliant results within three weeks. It's going to take a bit longer than that. So let's give it a little bit longer. Let's give it time to mature, a time for you to get used to it and see what adaptations occur. I think it's quite an important thing for people to realize. It is. Mm. Um, you've mentioned um, with sleep earlier on and this is something I want to get your personal distinction for but the difference between um, sympathetic um, sympathetic and parasympathetic systems and how they play a a part in our lifestyle can you just go into that a little bit yeah so so sympathetic and parasympathetic are basically two polarities of our nervous system and it's also kind of the sympathetics really are performance are kind of how you want to be when you wake up it's what gives you energy it gives energy because it burns energy right so you're really burning up and using your body now parasympathetic is your ability to recover from that and respond and adopt to the sympathetic stimulus that you gave your body so a workout is sympathetic but it allows for adaptations through the parasympathetic nervous system that that lead to that feed into and improve your ability to be sympathetic again. That's why you get stronger, that's why you get better. And mm. so it's, it's important to respect those systems. And it's actually something that I experienced firsthand as an, as an athlete is I was sympathetic 24 seven. I was like, I was, I was the guy that wouldn't party at all because I was like, okay, well I associated, it, you know, because I was actually like so committed that I almost didn't need, like if something was at risk for influencing me, I was like, all right, I'm not doing it. Mm. And the challenge was that social occasions trigger extreme parasympathetic response and allow you to relax. And when you work out two or three times a day, you don't actually, like, you're not even able to get better. You're not even able to recover. Mm. So acknowledging these systems, both in your life and your motivation and your ability to kind of, but also physical performance is extremely important because parasympathetic are your anabolic hormones. Sympathetic are your catabolic hormones. So it's when it comes to sleep, optimizing your sleep and making sure that your sleep is both efficient and long enough uh, based off where you're at, um, you know, it's, it's, it's vital because that's what will allow you to not need much parasympathetic during the day. But different things happen throughout our life. And sometimes we need way more parasympathetic activities. Mm. The, the, now, the, the cool thing is, is that you don't necessarily need to just completely shut off. You can actually, there's ways to actually make your days less sympathetic so that you're actually in a much more uh, relaxed and, and positive frame, which one of these things is actually positive emotion. So positive emotion triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, which is really cool. And, and the interaction between them is really kind of, uh, you know, if you're, in, 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 if you're stressed all day, your body is basically staying in hyper-reactive mode. It's ready for absolutely anything. And this is basically sacrificing the future for today, for today's readiness, sacrificing your immune system, sacrificing long-term health for 
for your ability to stay alert right now. And, and the parasympathetics is exactly opposite. Sacrificing current, um, current energy um, and current energy expenditure for long-term health. So that's why people can even cure themselves just by having more positive emotions, but just by de-stressing, just through meditation. Mm. Because ultimately that allows uh, our body to get into a state where it's actually priming itself for more optimal health. Mm. And the good thing about all of these things are like, if you pay attention to them and you put them into practice, you're going to feel good. And, and that's the thing. Like, so if you, um, you, for instance, you said you, you don't have to necessarily sleep to engage with parasympathetic because it could be something like meditating and meditating doesn't have to be sitting on the floor going, mm, it can be going for a walk outside in nature in the park in the sunshine. It can be doing all of these things to trigger a recovery response and you're just going to feel good for it. It's, you know, that's, that's the, um, it's the most interesting thing. And so many times people will, will start doing these things and they'll be like, once they've got their head around it, it's like, why did I not do this earlier? Why did I not start this yeah. a year ago? Um, but it's getting, getting people to that point. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, look, Christian, I, it's, been a, it's been an amazing conversation so far. I, I'm going to start to wind things down. Now. We've been recording for yeah. an hour and 20 minutes already. That went really quickly, to be honest. But um, first of all, before I, I hit you with three quick-fire questions, could you give a, a rough explanation, you know, just um, a quick explanation of what you do, what your coaching looks like, who you coach, where people can find you, and, and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um what I do for people is I help them optimize their health. Now health, as you've probably heard by now is very, very broad and involves multiple systems. So um, really the big definition is to optimize your health hormonally, cognitively and body composition wise, uh, so that you can, you can, you can live the, the way and with the standards that you want. And hmm. um, now that includes this, having the superhero body, which is what the name of my program is, is the superhero program because the superhero program is really kind of the abstraction out of what we're attempting to achieve here is an exciting life where your health is actually a huge asset in your ability to live a good life rather than something that is a liability for the rest of your life. So um, I definitely, that's why I try to bring health into today and not the future. I'm not trying to promote longevity unless a person is interested in this because um, because we don't really value the future as much as we do in the moment. Mm -hmm. And most, one of the most common reasons for why people don't take their health um, seriously is because they don't think it's affecting them right now. And I'm here to tell you that it is affecting you and, and that it's not like, if you don't think so, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, black and white, it is affecting you. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I just help to make it into something that, you're not having to force yourself to do, but at the same time, it's not some cookie cutter approach, but it's actually optimizing the things like building the muscle in the right areas, optimizing your biomechanics, optimizing your actually actual ability to build the body of your dreams in the proportions that you want them to. Um, and, uh, and really to make those things something that you will be pulled towards doing for the rest of your life. Mm. And do you incorporate your, um, your growth mindset and stuff like that. Do you incorporate that into your coaching? Cause yes. that, that's interesting to me because um, you said longevity isn't a focus, but I, I can pretty much guarantee that if you're incorporating that stuff in, then it's going to 
happen almost naturally as a profession. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's not the selling market. point, but it's, mm. it's something you get. Um, but yes, having a, developing a growth mindset is absolutely vital for your dopamine system to actually work. Mm. Um, because it, it, it creates dopamine release from the process rather than just visualizing the outcome of what you want and then kind of being disconnected from the now and the future. It creates, it actually allows your dopamine to function properly. So, Fantastic. No, that, that's really good. And I mean, to be honest, just from this conversation, the, the last few minutes, it's definitely going to make me um, yeah, look, look at some of my approaches and think, how can I, how can I optimize this? So that's been really enlightening for me. So um, where can people find you, Christian? Where's the best place to find you on, on, the, on the webs? So I have a free, I have a free Facebook group. Um, mm-hmm. that it's called Health, Body and Brain Optimization. Um, and um, that's really uh, health, body and brain optimization community. And that's really where I, where I provide a lot of these even more in-depth advice and, and, and conversations uh, and where I can offer more support. So that's, that, that would be the main, the main area to find me. You can join the group and we'll, mm. be, we'll be kind of getting you on to improving and, and getting, getting your goals and finally, finally getting to them. Well, I'm definitely gonna gonna join the group. See who you're up to. Um, uh, what I'll do, I'll include the link to that in the show notes so people can find you very easily. Um, but now on to the the final three questions that I ask every guest. Um, do you have any idea what these questions are, by the way? Uh, I I looked at, over them, but I was like, all right, let's have some adventure. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm gonna make sure that I don't remember them and I get surprised. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So some, you know, and it works both ways. Sometimes people over prep for them and they overthink it. So let, let's see. Um, let's see how it's gone so far. So, um, <clears throat> as you're probably very well aware, most of the world has a screen in front of them at any given point of their waking hours, whether that's a phone, a tablet, computer, laptop, um, billboards, PCs, anything. There's usually a screen in front of people. Now, you have this program that can put a message, any message you want, on these screens for 30 seconds. Now, this can be a picture, it can be music, it can be voice, it can be words, any kind of medium that you want on these screens. What, what's that message going to be? It's, uh, it would be part of what kind of my message is, which is even a text. If you're not motivated, that's a health issue. If you're not if you're not confident, that's a health issue. If you're not energetic, that's a health issue. If you can't focus, that's a health issue. If you don't seem to be able to follow through, that's a health issue. And if you're emotionally unstable, that's a health issue. If, you're, if your mental health and your ability to kind of be out there in the world and engage with your reality is not there, then that's a health issue. Mm-hmm. So kind of expand what what health means to you and what mm. it includes yeah that's a good idea again i think that leads back to the point of creating self-awareness for people as well asking the right questions to get to get the answers that's cool okay so the second question is um you have discovered the magic of time travel and you can go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice um so how old would you be and what would the little bit of advice be, bearing in mind it would have consequences on the person you've become today? Hmm. That's a tough one, especially because I'm, I'm so stoic in, in my spirit and, you know, I take pride in, in the challenges I've, I've had. Mm. Um, 
I think it would be to develop a growth mindset earlier. Um, and honestly, the perfect time for that conversation, maybe, maybe when I was 12, mm. maybe, um, yeah, I, it, it's definitely hard. I, I also wish I, I, I um, kind of was, was focused on leadership and being focused on how I make other people feel earlier. And wasn't this, um, didn't take as much pride as being this lone wolf, basically this kind of, this kind of Spartan ruthless mentality mm. um, and kind of understanding that there is a dichotomy to that. So I, I think I would, I would pull myself to the side and kind of have that conversation. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good sound bit of advice. I like that. And the, um, the last one is what is your definition of success? Well, um, I definitely, it kind of is, is a follow up to that uh, last question, which is achieving, achieving things, but in, including the people, like having the relationships, having the one, it's definitely to growing into your potential and, and taking, expanding your ability to take responsibility. That's, I think that's, that's success. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really good and, and very fitting with what you're, um, you know, what you're up to and what you're trying to achieve right now. Well, look, Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Well, you've, you've definitely enlightened me in a few little areas. Um, I've got some reading to do now. Um, but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed these kinds of conversations because um, uh, the whole neurotropic things and supplements is something I'm not big on. So it's very interesting to see what, what other people are up to in that kind of space. And uh, yeah, the neurochemistry stuff is always fascinating. And as you can probably tell, I'm massively into mindset and open-mindedness and stuff like that. So yeah, really, really has been a great conversation. Um, I look forward to seeing where you go with this and, and where your coaching leads to in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jack. No this, worries. This was- Excellent. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I really thought that was a great conversation and I really hope you took some value out of it as well. Now, Christian is a great example of a modern coach, adaptable and holistic. His approach and success rate is testament to the fact that food and exercise are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to human optimization. Now, make sure to check out his links in the show notes and everything you need to know about him will be included in there. And be sure to leave this episode a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people and allows good information to be heard above a lot of the crap that can be found out there in the wilderness of the internet. Until next time, guys and girls, have a great day and live well.